Last week we talked about the veil, the veil of the gospel and how Paul was basically in a schoolyard fight, right? He was in a battle. We see a different side of Paul than we've ever seen in any of the other gospels where he's matching taunts. So some of the false leaders of the Corinthians would throw something at Paul and, and he would throw something back at them. And it's a unique time in the letter of Second Corinthians where he responds like that. The Corinthians had to be horribly confused. The Corinthians that were Jewish had lived under the law, just like the other Jews. And now here's this Paul, this man who had been all about the law, coming in and telling them it's not about the law. It's about the grace of Jesus. And we're no longer under the law. We have the grace. And they struggled with that. And they were challenged. And then added to that were false teachers. They take great opportunities. False teachers will always take the opportunity, whenever given the chance, to come in and cloud things. They will come in and just mess it up enough. Just enough to make it challenging. And it sounds close, but it's not quite right. But it may be hard to tell. And they would come in and they would tell the Corinthian believers this. And and Paul would come back and he had written a couple of letters to them. And he was struggling and he told these false teachers who were telling them, you know, that their, their gospel had a veil. He said, you know, it might, but only for those who are perishing. For those who are perishing, it has a veil, but not for those who know Christ. For those, the veil has been lifted and they can see clearly. And he finished up talking about that for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And he basically showed these false teachers it's about God and Christ. It's not about Paul. And it's certainly not about you. So today we're going to move on and Paul tried to make sure and put his focus always on Jesus. It's cool to look at Paul and to see him. And I think if you could go back in time and get a better glimpse of Paul, Paul was an incredibly learned man. He was a Jew of Jews, right? A Pharisee of Pharisees. He was probably well taught, more well versed in the Bible and the the books of the Old Testament and the traditions of the Jewish faith than any of us could ever possibly hope to be. He was a man that, if he were alive today, would sit on some of the most prestigious councils, the most prestigious boards. Everybody would be clamoring for Saul of Tarsus because of who he was and what he had to offer. He would be lifted and put on pedestals. He would be revered by all. But when he became Paul, When Christ met him on the road to Damascus, when he blinded him, when he sent him to sit in the quiet darkness and search out the meaning of the blindness and the meaning of the voice, he changed all of that. He walked out of there, not Saul of Tarsus, the one that we would raise and put on a pedestal. If he were in America, this man would be worth billions. He would be one of the most well-respected people in the world. As Saul, but as Paul, he would have been respected just about as much as he was there. And that's not much. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was left for dead. And and he couldn't wait for the next opportunity. In verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 
he starts talking again. And he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. This is not that long after Saul of Tarsus. This is not that long after this man could have run the Jews. He could have been the head of the entire Jewish faith. But he wants to point out here that there's this treasure. And we sometimes get confused about this treasure and we think it's this beautifulness inside us. And it's not ours. It's this treasure that Paul's talking about here isn't, isn't us. It's not even our soul. This endearing, if you're a believer, this immortal soul, right? But it's the treasure that Paul's talking about here is the ministry of the gospel. And all you have to do is go back and look at the first six verses to see the context of that. So he's trying to draw out that there's this treasure. He has this amazing, beautiful, incredible treasure to offer. And it's the ministry of the gospel. And he just can't imagine it getting any better. And he talks about referencing earthen vessels. And it's referring to clay pots. Now, we don't, many of us have clay pots. If we do, they're special things, right? They're, they're things that have either been handed down through generations or we go buy special clay things because they're better to cook things and bake things on. We pay a premium for all of those things because of the specialness of them. That's not the clay that Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about your basic everyday clay pot. Cheap. Lots of them around. If you break one, it's no big deal. You just go get another one. In fact, is he talks about this because it's an example. Some people would use the clay pots to hide their valuables in because nobody would ever think to look in one of those ugly, cheap pots for something of value. And you know what they were used mostly for? Garbage and refuse. Right. So Paul's painting a picture here. We have this incredible treasure, the ministry of the gospel, and it's encased in us. And you know what we are? We're refuse holders. Right? It's not all that pleasant. It's not something we probably wake up in the morning and say, man, I could hold some refuse today. (laughs) But you know, it's what we do. Right? And it's an incredible concept here. But he finishes this with the idea, and the whole idea of the clay vessel is it. It's nothing. The clay vessel in and of itself is of no value. It's of no use. It is what's inside. And in this case, he's talking about the ministry of the gospel. That's what counts. And that comes from God and not us, as much as we would like it to in some cases. The whole concept here is that It's not only good for us to be the weakness of the clay pot, it's essential. Because if we bring anything to this, we dilute the value of the treasure. So think about that as we go through the rest of the verses. In 8 and 9, he continues on. And now he's telling these guys, this is what it looks like to be the clay pot named Paul. He's going to give us some example of what it looks like when you live in his world. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. There are four contrasting metaphors that Paul's using here and trying to give us a glimpse into what this looked like. 
in the concept of being afflicted in every way but not crushed, it actually translates better from a concept to a military term. It's a, it's a combatant perspective. I'm backed into a corner, but I'm not so tightly in the corner that I can't move. The whole concept of, of afflicted but not crushed. I'm not stopped. I'm not completely immobile in that corner, but man, it's close. I'm almost there. I'm perplexed but not despairing. The translation would read better, constantly doubtful on which way to take. But yet always there seems to be the way. That, that, that I'm, I'm struggling because I just don't know which way to turn. But you know, when I look carefully, there's always a spot to go. There's always somewhere. Persecuted but not forsaken. This is such a beautiful verse. This is so important for us to remember as believers that we will be persecuted. That is a guarantee for us. It will happen at different stages of our lives and it will look differently for each of us. But we will never, ever, ever be forsaken. And if that doesn't make your day, then there is absolutely nothing I can do today to do that. There is nothing more to offer. God promises us he will never forsake us. And Paul knew that. Struck down, but not destroyed. Concept here again is of combatant. It's someone who is fleeing from an enemy. But the enemy not only is chasing them, but the enemy overtakes them. And the enemy not only overtakes them, But the enemy consumes them, strikes them down, takes them to the ground and begins to beat and pummel them. But that's the concept behind this. Struck down, but not destroyed, but always delivered just before death. Always delivered. In 2 Corinthians 12, we get a little better picture of this. Paul actually shows us or or reads for us a little bit more. And he helps us to understand the challenges that he struggled with that, that, that were a constant battle for him and helping him to remain weak. But yet the fullness of God and how he continued to take care of him. And uh, chapter 12, verse 7. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And he may as well have added in there because he does later here, not only for Christ's sake, but for the Corinthians sake, for these very people who hated him these false leaders and were trying to bring the others off track, Paul was even glad to be persecuted for them because of the chance of sharing the gospel with him, the treasure that he carried. We move on to verse 10. Paul talks about, he's finishing up now, so he's just given us these metaphors and he's finished about, about being struck down but not destroyed. And then he completes this thought with always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, 
that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. The always here is talking about an endless suffering. It never finishes. In the human world, for Paul, there was never to be an end to the suffering. He was never to go away. It would change, sometimes be very bad, sometimes be not as bad. But the concept was the suffering was not going to finish. There wasn't a date of completeness that he could look at and look forward to. And the suffering was a result really against Christ. And it's really important that we remember that. Because the the idea is when we are persecuted, people aren't persecuting us for ourselves lest we boast. What is it about me that thinks I am worth someone's time to come and persecute me? What is it about me that thinks that I should be able to stand up and say, Woe is me because I'm persecuted. Because people obviously think I'm a big enough threat to them that they should persecute me. It's not about me. When we are persecuted, when Paul was persecuted, it was not about Paul. It was a persecution because Paul taught Christ. And the people's argument, the people's struggle, the people's battle was against Christ, not Paul. Paul was a messenger. We are no more than messengers. The very greatest of us will never be more than a messenger. We will never have more to offer than someone who shares the good news. We didn't write it. We didn't come up with it. We, we didn't perfect it. We didn't take it and massage it so it finally made sense to people. We simply are responsible for proclaiming it. And that's what Paul did. And he was persecuted, but even then he recognized it wasn't because everyone was afraid of Paul. It was because they were afraid of Jesus. And they hated Jesus. When we are persecuted, we have to recognize we, it's not because we are such a threat to society. The society has to come after us and knock us down. It's because society is afraid of Jesus. They're, they are frightened because Satan, the God of the world, knows he's going to lose. But he wants to take everybody he can with him. Society does not persecute us because of us. And we need to make sure we recognize this. Some of the leaders at this time would say to Paul, you see... You suffer, you struggle, because Jesus doesn't accept you. You have all these problems because you're wrong. And he would continue to affirm over and over with Christ. Over and over he would say, no, I'm all about Jesus. He is where I'm at, Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. That's it for me. In second Corinthians 12 again, as we go a little bit ahead of where we were last time. And again, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. The false teachers kept trying to point out that Paul was trying to draw the glory to himself. 
to raise himself up, to lift himself beyond the people of Corinth or any other Jews for that matter or believers. And Paul continued to say to them, no, no, it isn't about me. I'm just a messenger. I am a clay pot full of refuse. But I have in the middle of that, I have the gospel of grace. And no matter what you want to do, no matter what you want to say, it's going to be there. At some level, you have to wonder if Paul didn't want to say to these guys, go ahead and completely break me. Because you see, then there's no way you'll be able to contain the gospel. Right? When the pot shatters, whatever's inside's got to come out. And it's no wonder he kept getting beaten and slammed. It's almost as if he could have goaded them. Go ahead. Completely destroy the outer shell. Because you have no idea what's going to happen then. Right? It's such an interesting concept that we attack the outside because we can't understand the inside. Or we beautify the outside because we try to hide the inside. Paul was all about being nothing. So what was something could be revealed. In verses 11 and 12... He says to these guys, you know, if you want to question where I'm coming from here, just look at this, guys. For we are, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. It's a picture here. Delivered over to death was a concept they used when a prisoner was delivered to the executioner. This was the last moment. The prisoner was walked up to whatever form of execution it was going to happen, and they were executed. It was it. That was the end. You knew you could count your steps at some level at this point. You, You knew how many there were before it was terminated. And Paul talks about being delivered over to death for Jesus, how he willingly walks up to the executioner because he knows That if he lives that way, that there's an opportunity for salvation and the gospel of grace to be shared with the people who need it. He would willingly go there. And he did over and over. Paul knew in many of the cases when he would go into a city that he was going to be beat. But he wouldn't stop. He would go anyway. How many of us willingly do that? How many of us willingly know that we have the opportunity to show our lives for Christ? And I'm not talking about going up to death, because none of us, I'm going to guess, none of us in here have been pushed to the point of near death by those who hate Christ. But how many of us are willing to go into something that we are clearly going to be, perhaps professionally or socially, executed? But yet we're not willing to shine the glory of Christ in that. How much more to give your life for it? How much more to willingly walk into the walls of a city knowing that there were a lot of rocks there with your name on it, that they were going to get you, and that you may barely go. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul talks to us again, 2 Timothy 2.10. And he's talking here about the gospel, and he says to them, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Why did he do it? It was plain and simple for Paul. He was more than willing to pay the price, even to the point of death, if it may mean salvation for some of the Corinthians. 
or the Galatian or whoever it happened to be at the time. But he was willing to pay that price for them. Verses 13 and 14. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. The spirit of faith here is an attitude. We have the same attitude as the psalmist. Because this, I believe, therefore I spoke, was in Psalm 116, verse 10. Both the psalmist and Paul and all the we that Paul was talking about here. These are the people that are working with Paul. Recognize the persecution didn't end with Paul. It wasn't as if he walked alone. He had people with him that were serving alongside him. And they got caught into that persecution as well. But they completely trusted that God would take care of them. We know. We know Jesus. And we know that he who raised the Lord Jesus, Jesus' Father, God, he will raise us also. So we're not that concerned. It may not be all that terribly pleasant for us, but you know what? In the end, we know where we're going to be. We know what's going to happen with us. And we trust him for that. You know, it's a challenge. There are times in life where, where you put yourself at some danger. There are times you do it willingly. Sometimes as teenagers, you drive faster than you should because you think that you have the reflexes better than anybody else in the world. And that you can stop, turn, do whatever it takes at, at a moment's notice. Sometimes we will jump in front of things to save someone or do something. And we will do those. But it's interesting that I think many of us are not willing to do that for Christ. You know, we, we do it to make a point. We do it to prove ourselves. But why wouldn't we be willing to do it for him? Paul continued on in verse 15. For all things are for your sakes. Again, Corinthians, no. Where I have come from, what has happened to me, I do this for you. So that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Paul's always concerned about others. His goal was to spread the gospel so that it could go to more and more and more people like wildfire, that it would just take off across whole continents. That was his desire, regardless of, of how singed he would get. That didn't matter. He just wanted to do that. And why? Because of the glory of God, the unsurpassing glory of God. It was so important to him to look for that and to see that people would know salvation. And then he finishes up in verses 16 through 18. And he brings us back to where he started in chapter 4. And he said, in the beginning of chapter 4, Therefore, since we have this ministry, the ministry of the gospel, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. He recovers that in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Again, losing hearts talks about this abandoning yourself to cowardly surrender. It's not just being a little disappointed. It's completely giving up. Just quitting. 
thrown in the towel, just stopping. It's a losing heart here. It's not those times where you're disappointed because something didn't turn out the way you hoped it would. This is when you are faced with an insurmountable hurdle that you don't even try to surmount. That you just quit before you ever take your first step. That's losing heart. And he refused to. And it's interesting, it goes on to talk about your, your, your outer man, the physical body decaying or coming apart, heading towards death. And Paul certainly was heading that way. Paul had been put through the ringer a number of times. If we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 through 10. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. Wow, how many of us can have put a list like that together? I have been hungry, but that's just before the next meal. I don't even know what this looks like. I can't even understand what Paul went through. And he talks about it so lightly. Hey, you know, even though my body's falling apart because of all the beatings, the scourgings, the whippings, and everything else, it's okay. It's okay. In chapter 11, verses 23 through 30, he goes on and talks about more of this. I've had more labor, more imprisonments. I've beaten times without number. He can't even count them anymore. Often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once with stone. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I spent in the deep on the ocean. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the seas, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger, thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from that, oh, if that wasn't enough, right? If that wasn't enough, apart from that, such external thing, there are the daily pressure upon me because I care about all of you. Because I want to make sure you're okay. But if I have anything to boast in, I'm a clay pot. I have the most incredible treasure. I have Jesus Christ and his gospel. I have nothing else. They have broken me. They have beaten me. And guess what? Too bad for them. I hope I didn't hurt their hands. You know? I hope they didn't get sore arms from throwing the rocks. Because they can't stop me from delivering the good news until God chooses to bring me home. Then it will be done. The inward man is is that soul, that beautiful soul of the believer. Not just the soul of people. Everyone comes with one. Everyone gets one at the beginning. You get to keep it for forever. The believers get to keep theirs and spend eternity in heaven. Those who won't bend their knee to Christ will spend eternity in hell. It's very straightforward. But Paul's talking about the believer's soul here. It's renewed every single day. By God. What a blessing. Go ahead and beat me. Because what's on the inside, you can't touch. You never, ever get there. It's just beyond your reach, people. Can't hurt me. Renewing is the absolute opposite of losing heart. 
absolute and utter surrender before you ever try to never, ever, ever giving up. We want renewing. And then Paul goes on to perhaps give us the greatest understatement in the Bible. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's a great concept here, momentary. What is that? We just read a litany of things that we in this room together are unlikely to face. One man went through them all. Momentary? I think not. Light? Hardly. But when compared, and here's the important thing, when compared to the eternal weight of glory, it is nothing. I can't imagine, and I pray for our body, that we will not have to go through what Paul went through. But on the other hand, Nothing will make us appreciate the eternal glory of God more than that. Paul's perspective and his ability to endure was the fact that he didn't get caught here. He was always looking there. He was not so focused on himself and his own needs and his own rights and his own desires. He was focused on the kingdom. Paul was focused on forever, of the unthing, unseen things of eternity. We must, we have to do a better job looking towards eternity and not be so caught up in today. Last week I showed you a couple pictures. The first one here was from Japan from a week ago and just the antithesis for me of this message. Here is a building that is gorgeous on the outside. Beautiful paint. Gold inlay in the scrolls. It's set apart. It's so special you can't even step on it with your shoes, right? This is a place of places. But on the inside, the next picture, it's falling apart. It's decaying. It is the sign of the world working so hard to be beautiful on the outside while the inside decays and rots. How many of you have ever bitten into this beautiful apple only to find half a worm? It looked so good on the outside, but the inside was rotten. So what does it mean? What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do this afternoon? Was Paul, was his suffering for nothing? Was it a waste of time? It wasn't for many of the Corinthian believers. I pray it won't be for us. So where are you caught in the world that you're decaying on the inside? What part of the world has a hold of you that's causing you to decay on the inside? Where are you believers neglecting the treasure? You know, treasures, unlike what many people think, this treasure is not designed to stay hidden in the clay pot. This treasure is something you want to show everyone you know and everybody you don't know. 
Everybody wants to see this treasure. They just don't always know it yet. But you want to show it. Do you feel crushed, despairing, forsaken, destroyed? Is there a part of your life that's there? If it is, are you connecting with someone else? Are you spending time with other people to sharpen you, as Steve was talking about from the men's retreat, to buoy you up, to lift you, to hold on to you, to bandage you, to support you? We're in a battle. We're in the same battle Paul was in. We use different things nowadays against people, but it's no different battle. If you're not getting support, see me, see Dan, see Danny or Chris or your community group leader, somebody sitting next to you, do not go through this alone. Let us help you. God is the most amazing God that you could ever imagine, but he's not imaginary. He's real. He chose us because we couldn't have been smart enough to choose him. He worked through Paul because Paul made himself available. He wants to work through you. There's a lot of treasure in this room. A lot of treasure in this room. There's a lot of clay pots holding it. Let's show the treasure this week. Please, don't hide the treasure. Dear Heavenly Father, we are the most blessed of people, those whom you have called to yourself. It has been an utter privilege to study through your word and to read and to learn and to see where I'm falling short where I'm taking the beautiful treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ and I hold it inside, desperately trying to keep it from being used up. Because I just have a hard time understanding that it's totally replenishable from you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. Thank you for showing us the Apostle Paul and just what he had to teach us. Lord, change us. We all desperately need you to change us so that we are not the same people as we walk out as we were when we came in. Lord, there are people that are hurting. There are people that are struggling. Help us to come alongside and love and cherish them and help us to share the wonderful message regardless of the repercussion. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.